0: Turn your Bibles today to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to jump into the Word of God today. So excited. We had a 9 o'clock service for the second time uh, this uh, this year, uh, this morning. It was awesome. So if you're looking for an earlier service time, check out the 9 o'clock. And uh, plus, it helped build some great atmosphere in that service. If you're not involved uh, in an area of ministry yet, this is a great time to get involved in the area of ministry because this way you won't miss a service. You can serve one and attend one, which is what we're encouraging all all of our people to do. Uh, we had a great day yesterday as my, as my daughters uh, started uh, their first basketball game. They've had two practices. I have a 7-year-old and a 9-year-old, and yesterday was game day. And uh, Faith had played a little bit in a league uh, like a year ago. had never played organized basketball, and, uh, and so I was so excited to get them on the court. They got their little jerseys with their numbers on them. And uh, so they've had two practices, and uh, you know, when you're seven, eight, and nine, um, you, you don't expect a whole lot, um, unless you're Michael Jordan, but they're not yet. Um, although my retirement plan is the WNBA, just so you're aware of that. And somebody asked me, today, what's your retirement plan? I said WNBA. They're like, what's that? And I was like, the Women's National Basketball Association. My daughters are tall, so that's what I'm holding on for. So I'm spending all my money now. Just kidding, but. Um, and so uh, two practices. So the very first practice I go to, I take them there, and uh, and they got, they got a great lady coach, but not maybe as vocal as I am. And, um, and so I'm just standing there, you know, and catching the ball as it comes down, giving it back to the kids so they can continue to shoot. And so she comes over and she's like, Hey, I would love any input you have. And I'm like, Well, have you played basketball before? She's like, You yeah, know, I played a little bit, but I was in track and in college and stuff. I never played organized, you know, basketball other than, you know, just whatever. And I was like, Well, sure, I can help out. And so I gave a few suggestions, and she's like, Oh, that's great. And so then I show up for the next practice. She came immediately up to me and she's like, What do you want to do today? And uh, I was like, great, you know? And uh, so I pretty much ran that whole practice too, but still deferred to her and, you know, whatnot and was hoping that, you know, she would really pick up. So we show up for the game yesterday, and the coach does not show up. And so, you know, all the parents are like, where's the coach? Where's the coach? And I'm standing, and all of a sudden, the little kids look up at me. And all of a sudden, the parents look over at me. Come on, that minute, I became coach, All right. And, uh, you know, I realized something at that moment that, um, you know what, I might have not been the most qualified person. I might not even have been ready. But at that moment, I became coach to them. And I want you to know something this morning. I believe with all my heart that whether you feel ready or not, whether you've come prepared or you plan to be this, you are the greatest vessel that God is using to build his church on the planet today. You might, you, might, you might be deferring to somebody else. You might not feel qualified like I did yesterday, but I guarantee you, come on, there are some people looking up at you. There are some people looking over at you, and they're just waiting. Hey, coach, tell me what to do. And you really are the greatest vessel that God is using to build the church today, and I want you to know that, and I want you to know that going into this message today, uh, because God doesn't have another plan. He doesn't have a plan B. He has plan U. And uh, he chose to do it that way. And, uh, and, and you might be feeling insecure, you might be feeling uncertain about that. Maybe you're even here this morning and you've got some impurities in your life and, and therefore you don't feel qualified, God's still calling you and he's still choosing you to be the greatest vessel uh, to reach people on this planet. Your destiny is leading people out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, the Bible declares that, that we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light and, and, and that's you. And that's our job, that's the job of the church. And so I want to jump into this this morning, Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to, we're going to talk about that today. Is that alright with you? If not, we're going to do it anyway. Exodus chapter 3, uh, we're going to start in verse 1, and uh, we're going to read down a couple verses, and then we're going to jump around a different, couple different places, talking about the same story, um, but just to get a full picture here. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and it reads, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. Your translation might say the backside of the desert. It was a desolate place. He was on the backside. He was in the west side of the wilderness. And came to Oreb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not burning consumed. And Moses had a great idea. I should probably turn and see what's going on. Okay. Now the story gets even better. He not only finds a bush that's on fire not consumed, but now the bush begins to talk. How many of you guys want to know what the bush said? All right. Obviously Moses does verse 10 chapter 3. And the bush spoke. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of the world, out of bondage. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, but but I will be with you, Moses, and this will be a sign for you that, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. You would think Moses would have caught it. Chapter four, verse one. Moses still uncertain. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. How many know that God is long-suffering? Because that was perfect timing. God is long-suffering. He doesn't kill Moses right here. Although I'm sure there's times he felt like it. He's a lot more long-suffering than your pastor is. Behold, they will not believe and listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? Just mentally highlight that. What is in your hand? And Moses said, it's a staff. And he said, throw it to the ground. So he threw it to the ground, and it became a servant. Then Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses. Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So they put out his hand and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand once again. Verse 10. But, everybody say, but. That wasn't everybody. I'm not going to go on until everybody says it. Everybody say, but. Still wasn't everybody, but whatever. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, in case you haven't caught it, I'm I'm not eloquent of speech in my past or even today, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Verse 11, then the Lord said to him, Moses, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Oh, that's right. It's me. Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Moses, what is that in your hand? God, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you'd help me communicate um, that which is on your heart for this church today. Um, God, I pray that I could speak to people in a real, relevant way. God, that communicates your truth to them how much you love them, how much you care about them, how much you believe in them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. If you're a note taker, uh, you know, in two weeks we're going to start our new series, Unstuck. Next week, the dead guy's going to come. How many think that's pretty cool? He's not dead anymore. But. He, he was one time. Uh, but today I want to I speak to this message. What is in your hand? What is in your hand? How many of you guys have ever lost something before? Your keys, your glasses, your mind? Come on, somebody. Okay. You've lost something before and you can't find it. Out. They may not fully lose it because you, you, you found it again, so it was misplaced. All right. But you know, you've been there before. That feeling of where are my keys? I'm in a hurry. I've got to go. I remember when we were living in Vegas, I had one of these moments and I have them often to the point where my wife now calls herself my finder. She finds whatever I lose. Like I'll look for a little while and she'll just be sitting there tapping her toe. She'll like, do you want your finder to find that for you? <laughs> and I remember we were in Vegas and, and I went out to the car and all of a sudden I stopped and I, I realized, where's my wallet at? And so I frantically ran back in the house and, and I'm looking everywhere. I'm looking under the bed. I'm looking into the the. the, the covers of the bed I'm I'm looking in dresser drawers I'm I'm looking in the couch I'm looking everywhere and it's amazing how when you misplace something and you need to find it you start looking in places it probably would never be right I'm digging through my daughter's drawers I'm looking in the cereal you know cupboard I'm like where's my wall I'm freaking out about 10 minutes go by finally my my finder comes over come on somebody my wife comes over, and she's like, Ben, settle down, what are you looking for? And I'm like, babe, I'm in a hurry. I need to find my wallet. And she steps back, and she looks at me, and she goes, Ben, what's that in your hand? And I look, and there is my wallet in my hand. Now, you might be sitting out there thinking, oh, that is an idiot, but you know you've had that same experience before. You're, you're trying to find your sunglasses, right? And they're sitting on your head the whole entire time, Right? That's where I was at. I'm I'm looking everywhere. I'm frantic, but the whole entire time, it is in my hand. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know something today that, that too often as believers, we are frantically looking for the answers to society. We're looking for the answers to present to culture. We're looking for the answers to give to our friends. We're looking everywhere for them, but it's right here. And God is saying, hello, what's in your hand? Because you are the greatest vessel that God is using to build his church today. You are the greatest vessel that God is using to reach people at your job place, your neighborhood, wherever it might be. You are that vessel. Are you with me today? Are you with me? What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Chapter four, Moses isn't getting it. And this is a pretty cool story when you think about it. I mean, there's a bush on fire. It's speaking. I mean, there's some miraculous things taking place. And Moses isn't catching it. And so several times he goes back to God and says, but, but, but what if, and and what if this and what if that? There's some uncertainty working in Moses' behalf. But God stops him in the middle of one of these conversations. And he says, Moses, what is that in your hand? And Moses answers appropriately, and and he says, it's a staff. Now, you've got to understand something about the staff. The staff to Moses was his everything. It was was his gift. It was what he used to make money. He was a shepherd. He was a sheep herder. So this staff that is in his hand is not, not just, you know, some ordinary. This is his. It represents what he did. It represents the authority that he had. He had authority. It was limited over the sheep over his family, but it represented his authority. It represented his livelihood. This is how he makes money. It also represented his status, because back then, it wasn't like when you were growing up, your parents asked you, what do you want to become? And everybody was like, I want to be a sheepherder." herder. Okay? It was like the lowest of the liver looked down upon. This represented all that Moses was represented what he had and so when God asked him Moses what's in your hand it wasn't just some stick necessarily represented who he was and so when he asked him to throw it to the ground what he was saying is Moses I want you to release who you are for a moment Mm. and we see something here very clearly that in his hand it was dead but out of his hand it was alive In his hand, it was nothing but a dead, dry stick, represented something, but out of his hand, as he set it into God's hand, it became alive. And the Bible says when he let go, it became a serpent, and it was so alive and so powerful that he ran from it. I want you to know something today, that each and every one of us sitting here as the vessel that God wants to use has gifts and has talents. But if you hold on to those gifts and those talents, it's nothing more than a dead, dry stick. But if you would release those gifts and those talents into God's hands, into God's purposes, it becomes alive and it becomes powerful. In our hands, it's in our possession. It's not a whole lot, but when we release it to God, it becomes amazing. Somebody with me this morning? That's really good preaching, thank you. Matter of fact, the New Testament paints this picture. Luke chapter 9. The feeding of the 5,000. You know that story? That's a pretty awesome story too. I mean, here's a bush on fire, but here are a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. And it feeds thousands. I love that story. But I love what takes place in that story. The disciples look out of the crowd. When they're the ones that are called to minister to the crowd, they look at the crowd And then they look at Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, we should probably send them away so they can get something to eat. And Jesus turns to them, and he says, you give them something to eat. In the Old Testament, what's in your hand? He says, you give them something to eat. And they're like, we don't don't have anything. And the story goes on, they go, and they find a kid, and they mug him, and they take his lunch. (laughs) Do you ever, ever hear from the little boy again? No. He's dead somewhere. (laughs) They take his lunch, and they bring it back to Jesus. I'm here, bring the boy. Hey, look, the boy has. They're like, hey, look what we got. (laughs) They bring it. And they present it to Jesus. This is what we have. What are we supposed to do with that? Because see, a lot of times when the gift is in our hand, it doesn't look like a whole lot. But if we would surrender it to him, wow. Jesus says, that'll do. And he takes it. And I love what takes place The Bible says that he took the fish the bread. He lifted it to heaven. And he blessed it. And then he broke it. And guess what he did? He didn't distribute it. He gave it right back to them. And then they distributed it. See, if we'd be willing to release our gifts and our talents to God, see, we hold on for fear that, oh, but this is mine. I've worked hard. But if we would just surrender it. He takes it. Come on, somebody. He blesses it. He breaks it. And then he gives it right back to you. And I love it because it fed the whole entire group of people. Wow. What's in your hand? What's in your hands? See, there's a lot of people that that they they think about ministry and they all get involved in my church. I will use my gift to help the church. But can I tell you something? God does not want you to use your gift. He wants you to surrender your gift. See, there are too many people helping out in churches that they're using their gift. God didn't ask you. you He wants you to lay it down. He wants you to surrender it. How do you know the difference between someone that surrendered a gift and, and someone that's just using their gift? I, I use this analogy in the first service, and because I still like Jonathan, I'll use him again. Jonathan's our worship leader. Does a great job. Has practice every Thursday night. Helps pick out the songs. Puts, puts things together. Okay? But let's just say I go to Jonathan and say, Jonathan, man, worship's going great, but you know what? I, I want you to implement this song. Can you do that song? And he walks away, and he's like... He doesn't know what he's talking about. He should stick to preaching and I'll do the music. I'll do the worship. I know, how to, I know what songs go with what. Does he know by asking me to do that song, I got to pick out three more songs that are in the same chord progression. La, 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 la. See, I know a little music, okay? You know what that would tell me? That would tell me he's using his gift, but it's not Surrendered. But it's not surrendered. God is not wanting you to use your gift. He is wanting you to surrender your gift. And when you surrender your gift, wow, it becomes, this is really good. Thank you. Then God can begin to use it. Listen to me, though. You've got to catch this. The very first thing that he says to him, this is so good. Listen to this. The very first thing. The bush begins to talk. And the bush doesn't say, come, Moses. I want to make you really happy. Moses, come and, and you're going to have a really long, prosperous wife, uh, life with a hot wife and, and a lot of kids and a good job. You'll make lots of money and everything's going to be really good for you. The very first word he says is, Hey, come, I want you to bring my people out of bondage. Wow. Why are we saved? Why are we Christians? It's for a purpose. Why, why, did we, why, did we, why did we put this together? And why are we asking you to pick this up? And get, the only thing that makes this powerful is, is this, is that the Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. If the Bible didn't say that, if God didn't declare that in his word, this book would be useless. But because God said we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, there's power in this book because it's seven testimonies about how God has radically changed someone's life. Why do we put that together? Because we believe that we are saved for a purpose. Is somebody with me this morning? Moses drops it, and it comes alive. Then he stretches out his hand, and the minute it touches his hand, boom, it's dead again. What was God showing him? God was showing exactly what I'm trying to communicate to you today. That if we release it, it's alive. If we hold on to it, it's what's in your hand. What's in your hand? Now, I understand this, though. That, that there's, there, there's, there's a process involved. There are things that, that as we begin to move forward in God and fulfill the purposes of God, that there are things that, that, that we need to overcome. And there are things that, that Moses in turn had to overcome. And I want to look at three of them very quickly. The first one is this. In order for Moses to move on with what God had for him, he had to overcome his impurity. Now, when I say impurity, I'm not talking about sexual purity. I was a youth pastor for a long time, and every time we talked about impurity, th- their minds were immediately like, Whoop, thinking about sexual things. Now, it, impurity is, is, is sin. It's sin. Okay. So Moses had to overcome his impurities. Well, what, what impurities did he have? Listen to me. The very reason he is in the desert, the very reason he is on the backside of the desert the very reason he is working for his father-in-law god forbid the very reason all this has happened is because of impurity he is running for his life that is why he's in the desert If you go back to Exodus chapter 2, you discover where his impurity took place. His impurity took place because here he is, and he's on the scene, and a Hebrew and an Egyptian are fighting one another, and he comes in, and he kills the Egyptian. And the minute he kills him, he realizes his impurity, because then he tries to bury his sin in the sand. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he... He hides the Egyptian and he buries the Egyptian in the sand. But how many know when the winds begin to kick up, that sand gets blown right off. That's why the Bible says that all of our righteousness, all of our attempts to cover our impurities are like filthy rags. They fade even like a leaf. Wow. Why is that? Because we can't cover our own impurities. That's why Jesus Christ came to give us life and life more abundant. Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, come to cover our impurities. Now many of us try, much like Moses, we'll try to cover our impurities and we can do pretty good for a little while, but the Bible says be sure your sin will find you out. When all of a sudden the winds begin to blow and temptation begins to come, all of a sudden that sand is removed from you covering your impurity and it's exposed once again. Moses had to deal with, with his impurity. Moses had to deal with his... He knows why he's on the backside of the desert. He's probably perplexed that, that, that God would ask him to do what he's asking him to do. But see, I love reading the story of Moses. Why did God choose Moses? Because he's just as jacked up as all of us sitting in here today. That's why he chose Moses, to show. Listen to me, throughout the Bible, time and time again, I mean, here, he chooses Moses. It doesn't make sense. Moses killed somebody. Moses is in the desert. I mean, there had to have been somebody in, in Egypt, a Hebrew in Egypt, that was crying out night and day, had killed nobody. That would have been a good choice. But no, he hunted Moses out on the backside of the desert, running for his life, and used him. In the New Testament, he uses a man named, named Saul, became Paul, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, this one even boggles my mind more. I mean, we can probably justify Moses' actions, but Paul is a mass murderer. He's literally hunting out Christians. And once again, you can't tell me at that time there wasn't at least one person that was, that was a good family man, that loved God with all of his heart, that went to church when he was supposed to, that had family game night. Come on, somebody. There had to have been at least one guy like that. God could have used him. But no, he goes after the one that's killing all of God's people. Why does he do those things? Why does he do that? Because at the end of the day, he wants all of us to know that it's not about you. Has nothing to do with you. Has really nothing to do with your gift or your talent has everything to do with him, his kingdom, his purpose, and his power. Wow. That's pretty amazing. That astounds me. I love it because Moses is is running for his life. Because of his impurities. And that gives me hope that God would go and find him in the middle of his impurities and pick him out. That tells me this. It doesn't even matter, really. We could be shacked up with somebody we're not even married to. And all of a sudden, you get a knock on the door. Did you invite somebody over? No, did you? No. Let's go see who it is. That was a door opening. And you look, and lo and behold, there's a bush on fire on your porch. (laughs) And what do you do? You try to stomp it out, you know? He can come and find you anywhere. You could be at your favorite club on a Friday night. Getting down. That's how we get down. Shoulders at, elbows at 90 degrees. Right? You've seen that movie too, huh? You're at your favorite club and you're just, you know, you're getting down, you know, music's going, lights are going, all of a sudden you get a little tap on the shoulder thinking it's somebody that wants to cut in and you turn and say, Ah God. I didn't know you clubbed here, God. No, he's he's coming to get you. He'll find you anywhere. Why does he do that? Because you're his creator. He can do that. He can do whatever he wants. He chooses whom he chooses. He empowers whom he empowers. Listen to me. I've discovered a long time ago that there is somebody that is a far better leader than I am that could lead this church far better than I could. there's, there's, There's a lot more people that can preach a lot better than I can. But he chose me. He didn't choose them. Oh, yeah, there's, there's people that could lead this church way better. There's people that could, that could preach way better. But you know what? He came and, and tapped me on the shoulder. And you know what? You can ask my wife. Even last night, I looked over. I said, babe, how do I, how, how, do I, how do I lead this church better? How do I preach better? And she just looked at me, and she said, just keep being you. It's not really what I was looking for, but Okay. All right, I'll be me. Hmm. He found. I don't think anybody's funnier than I am, though. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) Hmm. Found him in his impurity. Found him in his impurity. Moses had to overcome that. He also had to overcome his uncertainty. There's a reason why scriptures in the Bible say, Walk by faith, not by. I hate that verse. We want to see it. Oh, okay, that's where I'm going. Okay, I see it now. Awesome! But we're like this we're like, Yes, God? Walk by faith. Moses had to overcome that uncertainty. I know that when God comes to us and he taps us on the shoulder and we're living with somebody we shouldn't be living with, we're like, whoa. I think think you're looking for room 323. I'm down that way. There's some uncertainty there. And we see that in Moses' life. He's like, several times. I mean, the, the bush is on fire talking to him. And he's talking back. I mean, could you imagine, you're at your porch, neighbor's walking by, but God, I mean, (sighs) are you sure you got the, I mean, and they're not going to believe, let me, let me get down here, they're not going to believe, I mean, are you hot? Do you need some water, you know? There's some uncertainty. I recognize that there's going to be some uncertainty, but we need to realize something, that it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about his kingdom come, his will be done. And he fulfills his purpose through. Somebody with me this morning? I love how God responds to him. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? He's trying to teach Moses something. What's in your hand? The staff, give it to me. Okay. Ah! Pick it up again. Wow. He's trying to teach us something. That, that 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 what is in your life the gift you do have it's his anyway it's his anyway I, I love what he says just tell him i am because greater is the i am in you than he that is in the world tell him he had to overcome last he had to overcome his insecurity his insecurity his insecurity I don't talk right. Now, most theologians believe that Moses had a stutter. So when Moses was having this conversation, it wasn't as fluid as what's taking place right now. It was more like, God, God, God but, but, but they, they, they won't believe, believe me. He had a stutter. He had a handicap. He had an inability to communicate, but yet that was the one that God chose to communicate to all his people. Hey, it's time to come out of the wilderness. This was the guy that had to go stand before Pharaoh and Pharaoh, let, let, let my peep 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 pee, go, go, go. God chose him. And he had to overcome his insecurity. He had to overcome his inability to communicate as eloquently as he thought he had to. Why does God choose people like that? He chose Gideon in Judges chapter 6, a guy that was hiding out, afraid of the enemy. And God shows up, and you know what he said to Gideon? Hey, mighty man of valor! I mean, Gideon's like... Dude, you got the... Uh-oh, God showed up. You got the wrong person. Mighty man of God. Not only that, Gideon finally gets enough courage and gets all these guys. Are you hearing what I'm telling you today? He gets guys together. You got 10,000 people. Yo, God, check it out. We're going to take on the Midianites. You know what God says? I want you to whittle it down to 300. I'm going back to the wine press. Why does God choose people with speech impediments? Why does God have them whittle an army from 10,000 down to 300? Why why does he do these things? Because at the end of the day, he wants to prove to everybody that it had nothing to do with us and had everything to do with him. Amazing. Why did God choose this guy? When there's better leaders and better preachers because at the end of the day when we're still here 30 years from now we have thousands of people coming to urban church tons of different campuses Jonathan's got gray hair but still styled the same (laughs) people will look and they'll realize it had nothing to do with me had nothing to do with our team our partners in ministry and they'll look and only one person will be able to get the glory. And that's, that's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Chooses people. Not, not my choice. But he had this impurity he had to overcome. Little did he know that the area that he was insecure was the very thing that qualified him to be used by God you know what qualifies us to be saved? Sin. The very area that we're looking at in our life that, gosh, God, but do you see? God's like, yeah, when you're weak, I'm strong. Yeah, I take the simple things of the world and I like to confound the wise. Let me just put it to you in terms that we can understand. God likes to mess with people. (laughs) He does it. Moses, what is in your hand? Let me ask you something today, church. What's in your hand? What do you have? What are you holding on to? What do you need to give to God so that your life can flourish more, so that the church across the world can flourish more? What are you holding on to? Why don't you release it? Well, oh, because I don't know if I'm not, because th- no. Hang on. Let me can I take you to one last verse. Thank you for one person saying that. I don't know why I ask questions because I'm going to do it anyway. Let me show this to you. We'll conclude here. Go with me to Exodus chapter 14. If you know the story, you know now that Moses has gone and, and God partnered him with, 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 his, with his family and that'll blow some people's minds right there, especially in church leadership. He surrounded Moses with people he was close to. Uh, we won't go there today, but that will be another message for another time. And you know the story now what takes place is that he goes and, and now the ten plagues happen. You guys all seen the movie, right? You might not have read it, but you saw the movie, okay? Good. And now they're out and they're gone. Pharaoh is so upset, he's like, just get out of here. And so they leave and they're marching out and they're leaving. Then Pharaoh changes his mind and says, let's go kill him." And so now we get to, to chapter 14, and it's, they're at the Red Sea. And there's the Red Sea in front of them, and here's the Egyptians coming behind them to kill them. I mean, they are now freaking out. They're like, Moses, what did you do to us? It would have been better for us to stay there. Now we're going to die. They're going to kill us. It's over. And I love this moment. This is like, you ever seen Braveheart? This is like a true Braveheart moment. <laughs> Moses grabs his staff. stands in front of the people. Now listen to what he says. This is great. This is great. Verse 13, chapter 14. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation. Remember, the Egyptians are coming in behind them, Red Sea in front. They got nowhere to go. They're dead. And see the salvation of the Lord, which will work for you today, for the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. That's awesome. I want to write a speech like that. I want to stand up next weekend and just be like, "I mean, that speech is impressive. I I'm, mean, that is some good stuff. That is like build me up moment right there. Just yeah, let's just be quiet." Did you read it? Do nothing. Be silent. they are getting closer. <laughs> Could you imagine? That's the speech. Egyptians coming. Red Sea. I'm freaking out. I'm sorry. I mean, that is a speech that you would think God would be impressed with. Right? I mean, that's glory to God. He's going to fight for us. It's going to be awesome. Strike them dead. <laughs> Let's read the next verse. Verse 14. 15. The Lord said to Moses, and he didn't say great speech. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go Forward, lift up your step. What is in your hand? And stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Let me just kill any misconceptions right now. It was not God that separated the sea. It was Moses as he walked in obedience and stretched out what was in his hand that the sea began to part. And now three million people get to walk across on dry land. I have a question for you today. What are you waiting on God for? What what are you crying out to God for? Too many times we find ourselves, God, would you send somebody to my job place to witness to all these events? And God's looking at you saying, I did. You. Moses. Separated water people got to walk across listen to me you are the vessel God is using to build his church today and while you are sitting back waiting on God giving your God's speech God is sitting in heaven saying hey stretch out your hand Lift up your staff over it. Oh, sure, yes, we know that the Holy Spirit or or God was the one that breathed life upon that miracle. But it happened because Moses walked in obedience and in faith and stepped out and did what God told him to do. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Oh, we thank you that your word is amazing. God, your word is amazing. Lord, I thank you. God, I thank you that you're building your church in which the gates of hell cannot prevail against. Lord, I I pray this morning that we as, as Christians and many of us sitting in here, maybe not Christians, but Lord, as they're sitting here today, contemplating the message they feel like they can identify with the impurities in their life others feel like they can identify with the insecurities or maybe there's a little bit of that uncertainty lingering hallelujah hallelujah jesus you worthy lord hallelujah Say, Pastor, what does it look like for me to, to surrender my gift to him? When I see Moses, he threw that staff. What does that mean? What does that mean to me? Does that mean I have to that mean I have to find a place to serve in the church? No. Although I'd encourage you, no. What it means is that you understand that every moment you're alive as a believer, you live for the purpose of him and you live for his will. And His will is that none should perish, but all should come into relationship with Him. That means when you go into your job place, you're there to be the light of the world. That means when you move to a new city, you're there to be the light of the world. That means when you go home and your brothers and sisters aren't saved, you're there to be the light of the world. I realize that I exist for the purpose of bringing people out of darkness into His marvelous light. Listen to me. You don't ever have to serve in a church to fulfill that. Although I suggest get involved. What you need to do to fulfill that is to live every day on purpose. And every day with His purpose. Every person you encounter. Every relationship you have. I am like Moses leading someone out of the world into righteousness. Hallelujah. Do me a favor, close your eyes, bow your heads. You're here today. Thank you so much for being a part of Urban. We're blessed that you'd be here today. But I believe that you are blessed to be here today as well. And you're here, and you're sitting here, and you're, you're thinking through this message, and first and foremost, you, you find yourself sitting on the fence. You're not a Christian. You're not a Christ's follower. Maybe you're still wrestling with so many impurities in your life, and you're so focused on the impurities that you forgot about His grace. And that his grace is sufficient. And that his love covers a multitude of sins. I am not up here today because I'm the best one for the job. I'm not up here today because I'm the most righteous. I'm up here today because he chose me. And you are where you're at because he chose you. Not because you were perfect. But because he put something in you that he needs for this moment. Hallelujah.